Well, good afternoon. My name is Joe, and I serve as one of the pastors of this church here. And we have a privilege today, uh, as we do every Friday, of hearing from the word of a board. Uh, as you listen, I'd encourage you to remember that the role of listening to the preaching of God's word uh, is a role of participation in worship. Uh, the role of the listener is an extremely important role that is an active role. It is not a passive role. So as you listen, uh, consider the questions that I ask. Consider the instructions that I give and consider the way that God is speaking to you. So I encourage you to be an active listener today. Can you remember a time in your life when your pride caused you to fall and to be humbled? Uh, I remember going into my first year of to my first year of college, and I was thinking that I would do just fine without having to work very hard because I was a really good student in high school. And my first semester of university, I had this class called Differential Equations. And one of the first exams I took, I failed that exam. And I remember getting the result back and just being shocked and thinking that I, well, I, I realized I was not as smart and as talented as I thought I was. Uh, pride leads us to destruction. And through the book of Obadiah, we will be called to repent from our pride. The main point of today's sermon is this. Repent from pride or it will lead you to eternal judgment. Repent from pride or it will lead you to eternal judgment. So point one, if you're following along in your bulletins, I encourage you to be taking notes today. Point one, for verse one, of what's going on? So look at verse one again. It says, the vision of Obadiah. This is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, rise, let us go against her for battle. So we see that God has given Obadiah a vision about the nation of Edom. In verse 1, we see that the Lord is calling the nations to, to rise up and to go into battle against the Edomites. But why? Who is the nation of Edom? Uh, if we're to understand Obadiah, uh, we need to know where it fits into the story of the whole Bible. Uh, for example, if you watch a two-minute clip of a movie that's from the middle of the movie, but you have not seen the whole movie and you don't know what the movie is about, then you're likely to be confused. You will not really be able to understand what that, what that little movie clip is about because you're not sure how it fits with the rest of the movie. Uh, in the same way, the Bible tells us one big story of God's work in the world to save and to redeem sinful people so that we might praise him and that we might enjoy his presence forever. So when we jump into a book like this small book here in the Old Testament, just like Obadiah, or it's in any other part of the Bible, um, and we're going to understand it, we should see how it fits 
with the storyline of Scripture. So let's set the context of Obadiah in the story of the Bible. God created the world. He made Adam and Eve to reflect his glory and to bear his image to the world. But they rejected God's kingship, and they sinned against God, bringing sin and death into the world. But then God promised that he would send someone to crush the head of their tempter and to rescue a people for himself. And God chose Abram and promised that he would bless all the nations of the world through him. Uh, Abraham had a son named Isaac, and God chose Isaac among Abraham's other sons to fulfill his promise of creating a people to whom he would show his love and glory to. And then through Isaac, uh, God would bring the promised one to bless nations by rescuing people from their sin. And then Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And when Isaac's wife was pregnant with those two sons, uh, God told her in Genesis 25-23 that two nations were within her and that they would be divided and that the older, and then the older nation, which was represented by Esau, would serve the younger that was represented by Jacob. And as God promised, uh, there was strife between the two brothers, between Jacob and Esau. The descendants of Jacob became the nation of Israel, and the descendants of Esau became the nation of Edom. And the Edomites are who Obadiah is prophesying about. So though they are not the nation of Israel, they are brothers of the Israelites. So fast forward now through the story, and God establishes his covenants with his people who are the descendants of Jacob. He rescues them from slavery in Egypt. He, he, gave, them the, he gave them the law to show them how, how they were to live holy lives for his glory. But then Israel failed time and time again to uphold those conditions of the covenants. King David was appointed by God to lead Israel, and he brought Israel to great power. But then King David sinned, and the kings after him were no better. On the whole, the Israelites rebelled against God. And this led to rebellion among themselves as well. The nation of Israel was divided into two parts, and they both continued in their disobedience. The northern kingdom was conquered, by, was conquered by Assyria. And then God raised up Babylon to conquer the southern kingdom, which was called Judah. And this was an act of judgment and discipline by God on his people. Babylon destroyed Jerusalem. And during that destruction, the Edomites, uh, who were living nearby, uh, they did nothing to protect the people of Jerusalem. Uh, though the Edomites were brothers with Jacob and were brothers of the Israelites, uh, they opposed God's people when they were in trouble. They did nothing to help them. And it's at this part in the storyline of the Bible, God's people have been conquered through Babylon. The Edomites have sat there and watched it and even helped Babylon 
God's people would have been asking questions like this. Is God faithful to his people? Will God's promise to establish a people and to send a rescuer, will that promise fail? Uh, will, will God not do anything about the oppression of his people? The brothers and sisters, perhaps you are asking similar questions in your own life today. And it's here at this point that Obadiah comes in and Obadiah's vision warns the proud Edomites of destruction to come because of their oppression against Israel when Israel was in trouble. And Obadiah also gives hope to God's people that he has not forgotten them. It gives hope that he will fulfill his promise to restore and redeem them for his own glory. So maybe you are asking, oh, when will the Lord intervene, uh, to, to intervene and rescue you from trouble? Or perhaps maybe you are turning a blind eye to your sin. Or maybe you are even joining in sin and oppression just like the Edomites, and you think that you will get away with it. Obadiah speaks to us today. I will preach the book in two parts. Uh, this week and next week, this week focuses on the judgment against Edom, and the next week focuses more on the restoration of God's people. So that's what's going on. That's the set of it. So now let's get into it. Verses 2 to 4, the deception of pride. Uh, here we see the attitude of Edom that led to their evil behavior, and it was their pride. Uh, uh, look at verse 3. Uh, God tells them that the pride of your heart has deceived you. And then the second half of verse 3 it tells us that they had these secure homes that were, high up, that were high up in the mountains. Their position was very hard to attack. So because of their secure living situation, uh, in the eyes of man, it's at the end of verse 3 that, that, that tells us that they thought no one could bring them down. But look at what the Lord tells them in verse 4. The Lord declares... I will bring you down. A pride is deceitful. Because of pride, the Edomites thought that they could not be conquered. But even the biggest nation with the strongest military is no match for the creator of the heavens and the earth. A proverb 16, 18 tells us that pride goes before destruction and haughty spirit before a fall. And then James chapter 4, verse 6, says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. A pride is sin, and it leads people to destruction. It leads people to eternal, de to eternal destruction. Pride leads people to hell. It leads us away from Christ. And for this reason, it's important to find out our pride and to kill it before it kills us. However, very few people would actually recognize that they have pride. A few admit that they are prideful, even as they are. 
Now, why does this so? Well, pride has this blinding effect. It blinds us to the fact that we think we're better than others when we're not. It, it, it blinds us to the fact that we are totally dependent on God, even if we don't acknowledge it. Because of the blinding effect of pride in our lives, uh, here's a couple of diagnostic questions that I'd encourage you to spend time meditating on to evaluate if you have pride in your lives. First question, do you get easily offended or angry over certain issues? Uh, if so, you, you might be prideful in that area because of your offense and your anger probably reveals your pride over that issue. Uh, question number two, are there areas of life that you do not seek advice in, or maybe areas that you're not willing to accept advice in. Uh, if so, that might be an area of pride, as you're not willing to listen or to seek help from others. Uh, question number three, uh, do you quickly dismiss the sermon without giving much thought to it? That uh, it is prideful to listen to God's word and then to walk away and to not meditate on it. That God's word is declared to us that it may transform our lives. As the believer, uh, if, if by these questions uh, you see that you have pride in your life, I'd encourage you to remember the gospel. Uh, submitting to the lordship of Jesus defeats and it undermines our pride. God sent his own son into the world to save us because we are unable to save ourselves. And it is a humbling thing to admit that you had no ability to accomplish to that you had no ability to accomplish something on your own and that you must completely rely on someone else. And yet that is what we must do as Christians. Remember that your salvation is not based on anything you've done. It is completely based in what Christ has done for you. You could not obey God completely. And so Jesus did obey God completely. You deserved God's judgment. But Jesus gained his light as a sacrifice to protect him from the judgment of God. And Jesus rose from the grave to defeat death for you. Jesus gives those who, who humble themselves and trust in him, Jesus gives them a new heart to walk according to his commands because we cannot do that on our own. This gift of salvation can only be received if you admit that you can't do it on your own. Uh, this, this, this confession of your need for Jesus goes hand in hand with repentance. So to be a Christian, we must tear down the walls of pride in our lives that protect our sin from being exposed. We must expose our sin to God. And in Christ, we will find mercy and we will find transforming power, not condemnation. But brothers and sisters, also remember that 
you not only become a believer for laying down your pride, but to continue in your walk with Christ, we must continually be killing pride. Uh, no believer is meant to walk alone in the Christian life. Uh, we need the accountability. We need the correction of our brothers and our sisters in a church family that actually knows our life. But that help, that correction, uh, it takes humility to receive it. Uh, we, we need help in sharing the gospel. We need help in learning how to parent. We need help in working through conflict. So do not despise this help that God gives us in the community of the church. Uh, we need one another. Brothers and sisters, I encourage you to be willing to ask for help and advice from one another. Self-sufficiency may be a goal of the world, but self-sufficiency is not the goal of a believer. Our goal is to become less, boasting in our weakness, boasting in our failings, that Christ may be glorified in our lives. So don't let your pride prevent you from receiving the blessing of being served by the body of Christ. Uh, before moving on to point three, uh, let me speak to the non-believers that are here today. Uh, friends, know that we are so glad that you are here. And even if you never become a Christian, you are more than welcome to keep coming here. And we recognize that it may take a long time for you to consider the message of the gospel. Uh, it may take a while for you to count the cost of following Jesus. But I encourage you that we will be patient with you. Uh, keep asking questions. In this passage, God is speaking to non-believers. He is speaking to non-Israelites. He's speaking to the Edomites about their pride. So rightly, there is a warning here for non-believers today. I consider the pride of rejecting Christ as Lord and Savior. But to submit to Jesus as Lord and Savior, sorry, to, to not submit to Jesus as Lord and Savior is prideful because you're telling God that you do not need his help to clean yourself from sin. But you do need help. It, it is prideful to believe that your own view of God is true rather than believing God's revelation of himself in the Holy Scriptures. It is prideful to think that you will not face the consequences of your sin before your Creator. Uh, friends, I encourage you to humble yourself and to find mercy in Christ. Uh, let's, let's now look at point three from verses five to nine. Point three, judgment on the proud. Judgment on the proud. Uh, first is 5 to 9. It uh, talks about the complete and total destruction that will happen to the Edomites if they don't repent. Let's look at verses 5 to 6. If thieves came to you, if robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, 
would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden and treasures pillaged. At the first five is saying that uh, it would be better if robbers would rob the Edomites rather than for them to face the judgment of God because at least the robbers would leave behind the things that they don't want. But in verse 6, uh, we, we see that the destruction of their towns will be total. I mean, he, uh, the, even the things that they had hidden away, their, their, their hidden treasures, even that will be taken away. And in verse 7, God says that even their friends will turn on them. Verse 8 and 9 say that their wisest men and their mightiest warriors will be destroyed. And not only them, but all the people. Their pride, their opposition of God's people results in complete, in total, in utter destruction. The vengeance of the Lord will be like a storm that wipes out everything in its path. Now, remember, in the context... The Israelites have just been conquered by Babylon and their capital city of Jerusalem was destroyed and now they're forced into exile and, and the Edomites are doing nothing to help their brothers. Uh, put yourself in the situation of an Israelite there. Uh, you have been wronged and you would want to take out vengeance with your own hands. Uh, it would be easy for you to wonder, uh, has the Lord forgotten you in your sorrow? You would wonder if God was not a good father who limits his discipline and who brings justice to those who do such unspeakable wrongs to you. Well, the prophecy of Obadiah about the complete destruction of the Edomites, it would remind you that God does see you. And God does care about the wrong that is done to you. Of brothers and sisters, uh, I am sure that there are some here who are dealing with the hurt and the pain of someone doing wrong to you. And you want justice to be done. Remember that God sees your pain. And he not only sees your pain, but he knows it. He can sympathize with you because... He himself was oppressed and rejected by men. So first, cry out to God in your distress. God hears the cries of the brokenhearted. Uh, brothers and sisters, uh, if you have been wronged in a particularly cruel and personal way, and if you're dealing with, those, with, with the wounds from that, I encourage you to come talk with one of the pastors. Uh, well, we would be happy to help you work through healing. Uh, do not face that alone. And also remember that, that though bosses and uh, human authorities may turn a blind eye to injustice, uh, God will not. God will not let the evil go unpunished forever. So while people in this life may, may seem to get away with the wrong that they do, they will not get away with it forever. There is a day of judgment that is coming. And on that day, the things that people have built up for themselves as comforts and as security will not matter. 
everything will be laid bare before God. Remember that for the Hemites, it was their abundant crops, it was their friends, it was their wise men, it was their mighty warriors. These things that they could help them, but it could not protect them from the judgment of God to come. Uh, in this life, uh, knowing the right people, having enough money, having a certain nationality, uh, it may help you get away with things, but that is not true before God. God shows no partiality, and he does not play favorites. We will have to give an account to God for our lives, and no person will be judged as, right, as, as a righteous man according to the things that we have done. For the scriptures say that we are all like sheep who have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. The making you think of yourselves uh, as a good person when you compare yourself to other people. Uh, but that is not the comparison that God makes. When you compare yourself with God himself, uh, we should fall on our knees in humility. Uh, knowing that we are sinful and deserving of no good thing. The, the judgment against the Edomites reminds us of the truth that complete and utter destruction is what we all deserve. Uh, the, the judgment of God against sinners in hell, that it is not temporary. Hell is not a place that we simply uh, pass through to get some wrongs paid for. No. It's the, the, the final state of man is fixed, either in heaven or in hell. Now, some of you may think that God is an unjust God for this. But if you would see with eyes of faith the holiness of God and the glory that he deserves, how he's deserving of all honor and praise, then we would humbly admit that God is just in his judgment. And that, friends, there is comfort for sinners. Uh, God is not only just, but he's also loving and merciful. And he's made a way to be clean before God. And that way is through his son. Uh, if you've seen your pride, and if you've seen your sin before God, and if you are convicted, uh, take heart, because Jesus stands ready to save. Uh, God became a man in the person of Christ. And he lived a perfect life in complete obedience. He was not deserving of the wrath of God. But in love, Jesus took the punishment and the wrath of God on himself. He was betrayed even by his friends who ate the last supper with him. And he suffered in the place of sinners, fully satisfying the Father's wrath against them. And then he rose from the grave proving that yes, he indeed was that perfect sacrifice for sin. And Jesus lives today to offer eternal life to all those who would turn from their sins, who would humble themselves, who would confess their sins and trust in Christ. So friends, eternal life is received through faith. It is not earned by works. If you're not the follower of Christ, I, I want to encourage you to heed this warning of judgment and to humble yourself and lay down your pride, and to trust in the Savior of the world. 
And I also encourage you to join one of those dinner discussion groups that Kim talked about at the beginning of this service. That's a great, that's a great opportunity where you can talk with people about the questions you had about the Christian faith. Let's now look at our last point, point four, from verses 10 to 14, that actions of the proud. So in verses two to four, it tells us about the attitude of the Edomites, and that was pride. Now in verses 10 and 11, it tells us of the actions that caused the judgment that we just looked at. And their evil deeds described in 10 and 11 are primarily the two things. It's violence and it's inaction. In verse 10, it says that they did violence against their brother Jacob. Well, their brother Jacob means the Israelites who were the descendants of Jacob. And then verse 11 says that they stood aloof while the strangers and the, and, and the foreigners entered Jerusalem and carried off their wealth. Now, to, to stand aloof simply means uh, to just not do anything, to stand back and to not intervene. They were not helping God's people when they were being attacked. And we are often like the Edomites. Uh, when we see someone being wronged, it is very easy for us to just say, that's not my responsibility, and we just move on. But this is evil in the sight of God. Uh, consider, consider the first murderer, Cain. Uh, Cain used this excuse. After he killed his brother, God came to Cain, and he asked him, where is Abel? And Cain's response was this, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Uh, in other words, Cain was saying, oh, what happens to my brother? That's not my problem. But it is our problem. We are our brother's keeper. Now, there's certainly our responsibility for someone uh, increases as the nearness of that person and in that situation uh, increases towards us. So, for example, uh, you would have much more responsibility to take action when you see a neighbor or a fellow church member that is suffering uh, rather than when you see the suffering of people on TV in some far distant country. But my point is this, that it, that it is our responsibility to help bear the burdens and to protect and to nourish those that are near to us especially those of the household of faith in this same church. Uh, giving care for others is against our selfish hearts because it causes us to sacrifice our time. It causes us to sacrifice our money and our energy in order to help others. Now, we are to help others uh, even when that help needed is because of something that they did wrong and, and something that they deserve. But remember, the attack of the Babylonians on the Israelites uh, was something that God sent to judge Israel for their wrongdoing. And despite this, Edom was still responsible to help their brothers when they were being attacked. So having this attitude of, oh, I told you so, or this attitude of, oh, well, that person is just getting what they deserve. 
Uh, that is not an ad. That is not a godly attitude. Of brothers and sisters, knowing our sins have been forgiven, and seeing how Christ came to be our keeper when we could not keep ourselves, uh, this should cause us to have a compassion and to seek to help our brothers and sisters. Uh, Church, I've been very encouraged, actually, as I've seen many of the members doing this for one another. Our, uh, as our sister Buffreen has struggled with cancer, uh, many of you have given much of your time, you've given much of your energy to care for her in those difficult conditions. And this pleases the heart of God. Let's, let's, let's finally look at verses uh, 12 to 14. And in 12 to 14, these are warnings against Edom. And the Lord is telling Edom, uh, don't take advantage of Judah as they're being attacked. Now, God warns Edom that as the Israelites are fleeing Babylon, don't capture them and don't sell them as slaves to their attackers. Now, uh, we may not be in a time of military war, but these warnings still speak to us today as we are fellow sinners and we can sympathize with sin's effects and consequences. Uh, Notice one thing in verses 12 to 14. Notice the tense of the language. Uh, It is, it's, it's not past tense. These are present tense warnings about what Edom should not do in the future. Uh, Notice in verse 12, it's, you should not glove over your brother. And in verse 13, it's, you should not march. In verse 14, you should not wait at the the crossroads. So notice what God is saying through Obadiah. He is warning Edom, and he is therefore calling them to repentance. Uh, Even though they had done great evil, there was time for repentance. Uh, Brothers and sisters, do you rejoice when you see the downfall of those people that you don't like? Well, Jesus tells us that we should love even our enemies. Uh, Knowing that we too once were enemies of God and knowing the complete destruction that awaits sinners, we should desire to see repentance from even our enemies. And then we should rejoice when we see it. And if we humbly recognize that salvation is not ours, but it belongs to God, then we can hold out the gospel to our enemies, trusting God's power to save, trusting his power to transform, and trusting him to humble them and to bring them to himself. Uh, Brothers and sisters, reflecting on the gospel of Jesus, it will lead us to kill our pride. So let's remember the main point of the sermon today. Repent from pride, or it will lead you to eternal judgment. Amen? No. Again. Uh, Let's take a moment of quiet reflection uh, to meditate on this word that we have just heard, and then I'll lead us in a time of prayer.